Well, it's a pleasure to be back with you tonight. Enjoyed last week, and uh, I want to thank again Pastor Randy for inviting me and the church receiving me. Um, when I stop to think of all the uh, great men and women who have probably occupied this platform, I feel greatly honored to be able to stand here and be able to share the Word with you. The Word, praise God. Nothing will ever take the place of the Word of God in our life. It's a two-edged sword. I, uh, I want to pick up where we left off last week and uh, complete the message because we didn't get through it. Of course, I don't know what preacher ever does get, get finished. But uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, Chapter 10. We're all familiar with this parable, the parable of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. The last time we compared the Spirit within and the Spirit upon. And we mentioned that before the Spirit comes on, we must have the Spirit within. The Spirit within represents salvation. The Spirit upon represents the infilling or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We see uh, here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, if you're there, let's look down to verse 25. Both of these experiences in the Holy Spirit is vitally important to every believer, every believer. I mentioned last week that some receive the Spirit within. In other words, they experience the new birth. They receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. They're born again of the Spirit. They have received the Spirit within. And many times they become content with that. But uh, there's another experience that God has for us, isn't there? And it's the Spirit upon. And so that's what we want to look at tonight. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. You can follow in your Bible. I'm reading from the New King James. And behold, a certain lawyer stood and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Verse 27, So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly or you've answered well. Do this and you'll live. And he said, uh, or, but, he wanted, but he wanted to justify himself. So he said to Jesus, uh, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, now this is where the parable begins. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Maybe you know there's a big thief. (laughs) It's called the devil. Fell among thieves, 
who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levi, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side as well. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Somebody say compassion. So he went to him and bandaged up the wounds and poured in the oil and the wine. And he set him on his own beast or his animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took the two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Now, there's two entities that are involved here. There's a priest and a Levite. The priest representing the religious crowd the Levite representing the law. Now, I want you to notice that the man that was lying in the ditch, wounded and left for dead, couldn't help himself. And that's a picture of you and I, isn't it? You and I were in that condition. And we were in such a condition that the law couldn't help us. The law couldn't do anything for us. Religion couldn't do anything for us. The law and religion had to look on us and pass by on the other side because they were as helpless as we, as we were. But there was one that came along, saw you and I in our condition, wounded, stripped of our clothing, left in the ditch to die. And he came and he bound up our wounds, didn't he? Praise God. And he poured in the oil. Hallelujah. The oil representing salvation. He brought us into the kingdom of God. But he didn't, that, 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 the story doesn't end there, does it? He didn't stop with just the oil. Thank God for the oil. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for the new birth. The Bible tells us that we're new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Thank God for that oil. But he didn't stop there. He poured in another substance. And that was the wine. Jesus did not leave that man with just salvation alone. But he equipped him with the power that's necessary for him to be able to walk in victory in this life, in this earth. Victory over the devil, victory over the flesh, victory over the system of the world that tries to dominate us. See, a lot of people who refuse or have neglected or just uh, have not received the infilling of the Spirit, that is, the wine... Many uh, live defeated lives simply because they have no power. 
And when things happen, when attacks come, and attacks come to all of us. Amen? Amen. The Bible says the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. So we all come under attack from time to time. And when that happens, you know, we have a tendency uh, to have self-pity or pity ourselves for what's happened to us. And we sometimes complain to God and we say, well, Lord, I'm your child. I belong to you. I'm saved. I've been washed in the blood and and I've been accepted in the beloved and I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus and I'm the head and not the... And why are these things happening to me? I'm your child. Can't you do something about this? And you know what God says? He said, you need to take that next step of faith and be filled with the Spirit, and receive the infilling of the wine of God. And when that happens, you shall be filled or endued with power, and you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You'll be able to take authority over him. You'll be able to walk in victory over everything that he throws at you. And so it's not God's place to deliver us out of the hand of the enemy. God has already done that. And he's put the devil under our feet. I don't know about this newfangled thing here. I'm going to try to make it work. Amen. I tried one of these years ago, and I just could not get used to it. But praise God. Anyway, the devil's under our feet. He's already defeated. And Jesus has given us the infilling of His Spirit, the power of His Spirit, the presence of His Spirit, so that we can maintain our victory over Him and keep Him defeated under our feet. Amen? Amen. There's a, there is a, uh, another illustration that I want to bring out to you, and it's in the ninth chapter of uh, Matthew. But you don't have to turn to it. The 17th verse, Jesus is talking about, uh, and he makes this statement. He said, men do not put new wine into old wineskins, lest the wineskin break and the wine spill out and is lost. But he said this, he said, rather they put new wine into new wineskins so that both are preserved. Now, in that verse, verse 17, we find the word new mentioned twice. And it's two different Greek words that he uses here. The first one, uh, when he said that men put new wine, that word is nuos, N-E-O-S, the Greek word. And it means brand new. It means just made. Brand spanking new, new wine. And then he said uh, they put new wine into new wineskins. That word new is the Greek word for renewed, to renew. So basically what Jesus was saying is they they take the new wine and uh, if they don't have a new wineskin, they renew the old wineskin so that it will contain the wine and it's flexible enough to expand when it needs to expand without breaking. Now, 
the process of renewing an old wineskin, I'm sure that you, you probably know this, but they took oil and they applied it to the wineskin. They would rub oil into, into the, the very wineskin itself to make it pliable. Jesus filled us with wine. We were that old wineskin, brittle, broken, useless, good for nothing. And it was like somebody threw us out. We were lying there by the side of the road, having lost all purpose and hope in life. And our good Samaritan... Jesus Christ of Nazareth came along and he saw us in that condition. And what did he do? Well, first of all, he put the oil. He rubbed us with oil. He made us usable again. Are you following me? He made us pliable and flexible. And uh, he, he, he conditioned us for the next experience, and that is the wine. But you see, the wineskin had to be conditioned first with the oil so it could hold and accommodate the wine. And that was you and I. Thank God for the Good Samaritan. Amen. Thank God for Jesus who came along at the right time and rescued us and reconditioned us and put us back in the family of God, put us back in the kingdom of God, made us usable again, put the Spirit of God on the inside of us. And that's where He lives today. Amen. Now, why, why, do, you, why do you think that, that we, uh, we anoint people with oil? Now think about that over in James chapter 5. The Bible says, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the Lord will heal them and forgive their sin. But why do we do that? Is there something magical about the oil? Is there some kind of substance in the oil that brings healing? No. Well, why? What's, what's the purpose in the oil? Well, I believe this, that when people are sick, when they have maybe a a, a disease in their body or they have pain in their body, and it's a constant thing, sometimes, you know, a person can be a Christian and be under attack like that, and they begin to uh, lose sight of the relationship with God, or they lose sight of who Jesus has made them to be. They lose sight of the victories that they once experienced in the past. And they, 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 they forget those things, and all of their concentration is on their need. I, I, I need healed. I, 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 need, I need delivered. I, whatever it is. And it, it consumes them. It takes up all their time. It consumes their mindset and their thought life. 
And so when a person comes to the house of God like, like you have tonight, and you have a need in your body, you have sickness in your body, or you have a pain that's going on, or the devil has attacked you in some way, physically, and you may have lost sight of that. What we do when we call you down and when we lay hands on you and when we anoint you with oil, it's like uh, reminding you, yes. hey, you are in covenant relationship with Almighty God. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. Yes. He, there, there's no sickness, there's no disease in the covenant that God has made with us. And so when the oil is applied, that is a reminder. What, 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 what's going on with me? What's going on in, in, in my body? This is, this is foreign to me. This shouldn't be going on in me. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation. I'm above and not beneath. I'm healed and not sick. And yet this, this condition, this thing is going on. It shouldn't be. And so when you're anointed with oil, there's nothing in the oil that has any kind of healing substance. It's only to serve as a reminder, to remind us we are a child of God. We don't have to tolerate the sickness. We don't have to tolerate the attacks of the devil. We don't have to put up with that because we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Amen. Amen. And we do serve Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. Himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah. And so that's why we want to conquer this tonight. Amen. In John chapter 14, I hope you have your Bibles with you because we're going to look at a few verses tonight. Uh, John chapter 14, go there with me if you would please. And let's look at, uh, there is a promise that Jesus gave, a promise of the oil. And there's also a fulfillment of that promise. And there is a promise of the wine and a fulfillment of that promise. And I just want us, I want you to see it in your Bible. I, I could read it out of my Bible to you, but I, I think it'll, it'll benefit all of us if we see it uh, from our own Bibles. So John chapter 14. Let's look at verse 16 and verse 17. You follow in your Bible, please. Now, these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. He said, I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper or another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, notice this, for he dwells with you and shall be where? In you, the spirit within. That's the oil. Amen. Are you following me? That's the oil. That is the promise. He said, I'm going to pray. And the Father is going to send you another comforter. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit has come, uh, he will dwell with you and he will live in you. That's salvation. Amen. The greatest promise that Jesus has ever given to us. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, uh, look over in the 20th chapter and we'll see the fulfillment of this. We're still in John, uh, St. John. 
John chapter 20. Say amen when you're there. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, notice this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. That was the promise of the oil. That was the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples. I'm going to pray and the Father is going to send another comforter. He's going to send you another helper that will abide with you. He'll be with you. He'll never leave you. He will, he, he will dwell with you and live in you. And then we come over to John chapter 20 and we find out that uh, he, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's the fulfillment of the oil. Can you remember the day when Jesus came into your life and breathed on you? (laughs) And you received eternal life. You experienced the new birth. Where were you? I, I, I I would venture to say that every one of us has a vivid recollection of that exact moment in time when we experienced the love of God that forgave us of our sin. That was when he breathed upon you and you received the oil of the Spirit. You received salvation. Praise God. Well, there's also, uh, well, uh, let me bring this out because, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, when, when you get saved, uh, you need to tarry to receive the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that before? Uh, we grew up in Pentecostal circles, and, and years ago, that was the understanding. You know, they didn't have uh, the revelation that we have today. They were just learning like we're learning new revelation today as the Holy Spirit teaches us. But uh, we, we were taught in, in, uh, in our uh, Pentecostal church that when you got saved, then you, the, then you had to spend time in the altar and you had to tarry, you had to pray, and you had to wait. And perhaps God would fill you with the Spirit. Well, uh, notice, notice what Jesus said here when he breathed on them. It says in verse 22, he said to them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. The word receive there in the Greek means and or demands an immediate response. Amen? In other words, he when he said receive ye, he wanted them to receive it now, immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till the next service at church. Amen? Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And they received. I can remember years ago when, uh, after we were saved, uh, and and again, we were in the Pentecostal church that we grew up, oh, I grew up in, Linda, uh, she came in uh, after afterwards, but uh, we raised our children in this church, and um, I can remember being there on a Sunday night. We were born again, we were saved, but I haven't, re- I hadn't received the infilling of the Holy Spirit as of 
that time. And so we had a guest speaker that night, and uh, he said, whoever wants to be filled with the Spirit, uh, come forward. And so I, I, I was eager. Man, I was hungry for God. And so I, I made a beeline down front. And uh, he laid his hand on me, prayed a simple prayer, and that was it. And uh, so I, I, I told Linda, I said, well, I received that by faith. I didn't, I mean, there was no lightning bolts. The angels in heaven weren't singing. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hear nothing. Didn't feel nothing. It was just like, okay. But I, I told her, I said, I'm, I'm just going to receive that by faith. I didn't speak in tongues. It was just, okay. Thank you, Father. I believe I received. Well, when we got home, we uh, had a little office in uh, in our basement, and so I went down there and and uh, I was praying and I asked the Lord. I said, "Now, now, Lord, you said in Acts two that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance." And so I said, "I'm going to take another step of faith, and I'm going to expect you." To give me that prayer language. And so I just began to worship him. And it wasn't long before these words began to form in my belly. And so I just began to speak them out. By faith. See, that's the only way you can please God. It wasn't an emotional experience. It wasn't some flamboyant thing that happened. It was simply a step of faith. And I haven't stopped speaking in tongues since. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Well, let's look at the promise of the wine. Go back to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. And look just a few verses up. Before uh, we got to the other place here, in verse 49. Are you still with me? Luke 24, 49. These, again, are the words of Jesus. And this is the promise, not of the oil this time, but of the wine, the second experience of the Spirit. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, that's the promise of the wine. He said, wait in the city of Jerusalem because there's going to be some kind of uh, response from heaven. And the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you. And you will become endued or clothed with power. He said, go there to the city and wait for it. Now, that's the only time in the, in the Bible that Jesus ever told anybody to wait to be filled with the Spirit. And that's simply because He hadn't been poured out yet. Right. Amen. He's here, folks. Right. Amen. Amen. He's here. Thank God for it. Amen. So that's the promise. And then you come over to the book of Acts. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2. Your Bible's getting a workout. But that's a good thing. Amen. Acts chapter 2. And of course, we're all familiar with this. 
verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began, and is a conjunction. These are not two different thoughts here. It's one thought. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Now I've prayed, Linda and I pastored for 34 years and I've prayed with a lot of people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's, it, it's difficult for them seemingly to open their mouth and and talk because they're thinking well that that's just me well guess what it is <laughs> it is you that's right. that's right. see it says and they were filled with the holy spirit and they began to speak with tongues in other words the holy spirit gives us the words but we're the ones that does the talking And see, when you explain to folks that way, then it's a little easier for them to release the Holy Spirit or those those words that they hear down here, and they begin to speak it out. Amen. But it seems that, uh, that the church was incomplete, the New Testament church was incomplete and powerless until they experienced the Spirit coming upon them. They were born again. They had received the oil. But it wasn't until they received the wine of the Spirit, the the infilling of the Spirit, before the commission was given. And what happened after they received the infilling of the Spirit? Immediately, they went out into the streets. And they began to preach Christ. Peter began to preach the gospel. And how many people were saved that day? 3,000. 3,000 people came to the Lord. Miracle after miracle after miracle began to happen. Why? Because they were now filled with the Holy Spirit. They had power. When Jesus said, you shall receive power, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's where they went. We get over to the 8th chapter and we find that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And they all received the oil. They all received the oil. Why? Because Philip was an evangelist. Man, he could could preach them happy. And they all got saved in the city of Samaria. But then uh, when word came back to Jerusalem, then the apostles sent Peter and John down there to get them filled with the Spirit. To get the wine on the inside of them. And so when they went down, it says they they, uh, laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were full of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, what what, uh, the church did, the disciples and the church. uh, Let's go back to Luke 24. Because I want to point this out to us tonight that what they did 
once they receive the oil of the Spirit, is an example for every Christian, whether you've received the infilling of the Spirit as of tonight or not, they set the example for us when they received salvation, when, they, when Jesus breathed upon them. And they received the Holy Spirit. They received the oil of the Spirit. Uh, Look at verse, uh, we're in the 24th chapter of Luke, verse 52. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They were excited. I mean, they were turned on, folks. They were so excited about Jesus because they had just experienced salvation. Can you remember how happy you were? How much joy you had on the inside of you when you first made Jesus Lord of your life? Oh, praise God. Nothing could compare to that ever. But there's three things here that they did that we can learn from, and we can take their example. Number one, notice again, it says, They worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and, uh, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. The first thing they did was they displayed the fruit of the Spirit. It says here that they had great joy. You realize that joy is a fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, all of the, but, but joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a part of love. Amen? Amen? And so they displayed that. How many of us display joy on a continual basis? Come on, Come on now, pull your, pull your feet in. I might do some walking here tonight. In spite of the circumstances that we find ourselves in many times, instead of concentrating on the negative things and the bad things and uh, all of the things that are contrary to the word that are coming against us, are we able to put those aside and say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will joy in the God of my salvation, like David said. Amen. Hallelujah. I know that's difficult sometimes if you're not walking in the Spirit. If you're not living in that realm of the Spirit where the Spirit can control things that go on in your life. He can can usurp authority over those things. And the release of joy will help you get victory in your life. So they displayed the fruit of the Spirit. The second thing they did was they frequented the house of God. All right, here we go. Notice verse 53. And they were continually in the temple. (laughs) How often did they attend church? Oh, once or twice a month. When the weather was good. (laughs) No. It says they were continually, continually in the temple. They were so excited about their new uh, experience in the Lord. They were expressing joy everywhere they went. And they couldn't wait to get to church. 
They were continually in the temple. And the third thing they did, the third example that we can learn from, is they were praising, worshiping, praising, and blessing the Lord all the time. Glory to God. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. All that's in me. That means my mind that may, may not be renewed completely to the word. I will, I will bless the Lord with my, my unrenewed mind until it gets renewed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just as there are nine manifestations associated with the Holy Spirit's work within us through the oil, there's also nine manifestations of the Spirit with the Holy Spirit's work of joy, of, uh, help me out here, wine upon us. We know that the fruit of the Spirit, there's, there's nine elements to that. Really, there's only one fruit, and that's love. And the other eight are manifestations of that love. If we're full of love, if we're full of the love of God, and you know the Bible tells us that, that we have the love of God that's shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. I mean, we got wall-to-wall love inside of us. Amen. And when we realize that, that nothing can conquer that, nothing can overcome that, nothing can defeat that, then we can express joy even in the face of adversity. We can express peace. We can have the peace of God. I mean, we can lie down at night and our sleep will be sweet. We don't have to toss and turn and wake up. and, and, and No, undisturbed sweet sleep. Amen. Amen. Some of you need to stand on that one. Hallelujah. But there's, there's also nine uh, manifestations concerning uh, the infilling, which is the, uh, the wine of the Spirit, and those are the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. The gifts of the Spirit. And, and that's what we really need to see more of in the church. Amen. We need to see those manifestations of, of the Spirit of God in the operation of the gifts. Amen. Amen. Now, most Pentecostal churches... Uh, well, I won't say most, but some are pretty fluent in tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. But when we come to the other six, what about the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the discerning of spirits? What, what about the gifts of healings, the working of miracles? Oh, praise God. We ought to see miracles in the church today. And the operation of, of special faith. We need to see those things. And the reason why we're not seeing them is because, perhaps because we're not filled with that wine like we should. We're not filled with that wine like we should be. Praise God. Say amen to me, but it's true. Now, the spirit, the spirit within is given to us, or the new birth, or uh, the oil is given to us for character. It builds our character, doesn't it? Uh, 
You know, it's the Father's desire that you and I, through the new birth, become conformed to the image of His Son. We are to become more like Jesus every day. And that takes place only by building character, doesn't it? And that's what, that's what the oil does for us. That's what being saved, that's what being uh, uh, redeemed and renewed on the inside. Just, just having that eternal life and having that picture of Jesus. And we're in pursuit of Him. And having a desire to be more like Him every day. We need to be conformed to His image. And see, that, that, that's character. And then the, the, the Spirit upon, the wine, being infilled or filled with the Spirit. Then, see, that, that in, enforces the power and the authority of God in our life. It produces that power. And you all know we need power today. Amen. We need God's power, active and operative in our life. If we don't, you know, we're going to be run over. We're going to be defeated. And I don't know about you, but I refuse to allow the devil to defeat me. Why should we allow a defeated foe to gain any recognition in our life at all? In, In my opinion, we shouldn't. But... The Spirit within empowers us for service, to do the work that God has called us to do. Amen. We can't do that. See, that's why, that, that's why certain denominations today are ordaining homosexuals in the ministry. Now, I know I probably rubbed somebody wrong when I said that, but it's true just the same. If they'd read the Bible, they'd find out that... That's a no-no. Amen? And uh, so many liberal practices are going on in the church today. And ministers of the gospel are, are, are turning away when they see sin in the pew. Instead of, well, you know, I don't like confrontation. Well, what are you going to do when you stand before Jesus and he says, why didn't you deal with that situation? Why didn't you help that person? See, that's because there's no wine. There's no wine on the inside. There's no power. There's no authority. And that's the only way that we're going to receive that. According to the book of Acts that we just read, those who received this second work of the Spirit or the infilling of the Spirit or the wine... They spoke with tongues. They spoke in tongues. Somebody said, well, you know, I've I've read the Bible. I've read the book of Acts. And I know that there's five different accounts where people were filled with the Spirit. But only three times does it mention that they spoke in other tongues. Well, uh, in those other two accounts, it doesn't say they didn't. (laughs) Amen. It says that they either prophesied or they spoke the word of God with boldness. I choose to believe that they did speak with tongues. It perhaps maybe just didn't get recorded. But that is the initial evidence that one has received the infilling 
or the wine of the Spirit. The initial, not the only, but the initial evidence. Amen? I know you all have been taught this. Your pastor has taught you. In first, let, let's go over to 1 Corinthians. Are you still with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Are you learning anything? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 14. I want to direct your attention to verse 26. And this is the writings of Paul. He said, how is it then, brethren? He's speaking to the church. Whenever you come together, each of you. Somebody say each of you. Now, does that mean all? That means every single person, doesn't it? Hallelujah. Somebody say me. We're all included there. Each of you. Have a psalm, have a teaching, have a tongue, have a revelation, have an interpretation. Every one of you have something to contribute to the overall edification, exhortation, and comfort to the church. See, the, the, these, these comfortable chairs, sometimes they get too comfortable. Yeah, we, we, we need to be like old Mother Eagle, you know, when it's time for the little eaglets to, to, to fly out of the nest, she starts pulling the straw away because underneath there's, there's thorns. Yes. Ouch. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, let's read, let's read on. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let it, let it be by two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpret, interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, if you'll notice, he's talking about two different aspects of tongues. One is uh, the gift of tongues which is for the edification of the church. Yes. Amen? Amen? That's the one that's mentioned over in 1 Corinthians 12, along with the other gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. But yet there's another aspect of tongues that he talks about here, uh, and that is the ministry of tongues. And one, the ministry of tongues is for one's own edification. I pray in tongues all the time, even under my, under my breath. I, I'm, I'm praying in tongues because I want to stay built up. I want to stay strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I don't want to become susceptible to any attack of the devil. I've walked in health for now almost 68 years. And I, if Jesus tarries, I'll, I'll continue to walk in health for another 68, well, Whenever. Hallelujah. But uh, we, we don't tolerate those kind of things in our life as believers. Amen? Amen. That, that's of the devil. It's not of God. There's nothing edifying about sickness. There's nothing edifying about poverty. 
There's nothing edifying about being bombarded by demons. Nothing uplifting about that. That's all of the devil. And we, sh- we, we shouldn't tolerate it. But by praying in tongues, the ministry of tongues, Jude 20, building up yourself on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. That's the way you build yourself up. That's the way you remain strong in Him. That's the way you remain sensitive to His voice. Praise God. And then look at, look at verse 28. We're still in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. That's that's the ministry of tongues. Before he was talking about the, the gift of tongues. And we need both. We need both. But we're not going to see the gift of tongues in operation in the church to bring edification, exhortation, and comfort to the church unless each one of us are practicing the ministry of tongues. Because we will not be in a prepared state to be used of God in the church, in the service of God, in the house of God, unless we have been praying in tongues the ministry and ministering to the Lord. I will guarantee you, if you will build yourself up on the way you, uh, on the way to church, if you'll just pray in tongues on the way to church, when you get here, there will be an opportunity somewhere in that service for you to operate in the gift of tongues. Now, whether you, whether you take that advantage or take that opportunity, that's between you and God. But God will open that door. And when, see, see what we're doing, folks, by not being prepared for God to use us in the gifts, what, what we're doing is we are, we're violating. We're cheating the other members of the body of Christ out of something that, that God has for them, but yet we're, he won't use an unprepared vessel. And if we're not prepared, then, you know, we'll come to church, sing three songs, take up an offering, do a prayer, hear a message, and go home. And we call that church. Well, compared to what they experienced in the book of Acts, it's not. It's not church. So let me challenge you tonight. Let me challenge you to learn to stir up that gift on the inside, to let the Holy Spirit out. Let Him use you in ministering to the Lord. Be open. Be free. We are free. Amen? Amen. We're not bound by devils. The devil wants to give you lockjaw. Amen? He wants you to come and be a nice little church member. Sit on your own. You know, everybody sits in the same place all the time. Occupy your seat. Don't make waves. Just come and... Be your nice little self. 
But that's not what God wants. If you look in the, if you read the book of Acts, and you read the uh, Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, you read over there, they had church, didn't they? I mean, they, they, they raised the dead. If there was any sick people, man, they didn't stay sick for long. <laughs> and they pulled all their resources and they took care of people's needs. Praise God. Hallelujah. The main ingredient of any relationship is communication, isn't it? When communication breaks down, the relationship falls apart. Some of you have experienced that in life. Perhaps been in a good relationship and because of the lack of communication or something like that, the relationship faltered. If we expect to have a relationship, a prosperous, ongoing, exciting relationship with our Father God, we have to fine-tune our communication skills. And that's not our native tongue. I'm talking about the language that He understands. The language that He's put on the inside of us. And we'll never have the relationship with God that He wants us to have without fine-tuning that communication level. Praying in other tongues. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I would that you all spoke with tongues. I desire that all of you speak with tongues. Amen. Amen. Well, I mean, dear Lord, that if we follow anything that the Apostle Paul wrote in the Bible, and he wrote two-thirds of it, the New Testament, if we follow any of it at all, we ought to follow that part. Because Paul knew that when we have that ministry of tongues and it leads into the gift of tongues, we're not only going to enhance our relationship with God, but also with the members of the body of Christ. You see how that works? That's why he said, I would, I desire that you all speak with tongues. He said, I speak with tongues more than all of you. Hallelujah. Paul knew something that we need to learn. Thank God. Those having the Spirit within and the Spirit upon, that's talking about the oil and the wine. You have have both inside of you, upon you. The the power of God is upon you. That person uh, is a first responder. Now, get that term. A person who has the Spirit within, they're saved, born again by the Spirit of God. They know they're a child of God. And they've also received the infilling or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they have the power of God upon them. That person, that may be you tonight. If it is, then you are a first responder. Now, when you think of first responders, what do you think of? You think of uh, fire, fire people, uh, fire, uh, firefighters and 
police officers and uh, those that that go into battle, man. I mean, to rescue people. They're the first on the scene. They're the first uh, to, to, to uh, initiate the, the rescue, right? Amen. First responder. Think of yourself as a first responder. I want to give you five ways that we, we are a first responder. If you are filled with the Spirit, if you're saved and you're filled with the Spirit, you have the power of God upon you, then you are a first responder. And this is the way that we exercise that gift. This is the way that we exemplify being a first responder. Are you ready? Number one is through worship. Again, a first responder is built up. They prayed in the Spirit on the way to church. And when they get here, Man, they're expecting, like, like Pastor Randy said, they're expecting something. They're, I mean, they, they come expecting. They've got faith to believe for something supernatural to, to, to occur. And they're prayed up. They're prepared. They, 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 they're, they're a willing vessel, ready to be used of God. And when uh, Jacob stands up here and the worship team begins to, to uh, and it blessed my heart to see Brian up there on the drums. That's, that's another talent that's coming out of him. Amen. But when, when they get up to lead worship, first responders don't sit back and wait for everybody else to enter in. Come on now. You're a first responder. What are you doing? You're responding to the presence of God through worship. You came expecting. You came anticipating God to move. You came expecting to see some kind of a miracle or supernatural display of God's power. And you've come in here expecting that. And when they, when they hit that first note, man, you're on your feet. Praise God. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what a first responder does. But people that have no wine... Oh, see, I I can say that because I'm not the pastor here. (laughs) Number two, the second way that we exemplify being a first responder is through prayer. Prayer. Do you find it a chore to pray or a joy to pray? Do you look forward to your communion with the Lord? Your daily time of devotion with God? Or do you neglect that? Other things kind of squeeze your time and take your time. Prayer. Worship is responding to His presence. Prayer is responding to Him in fellowship and communion. Did you realize that God, He has this heart full of desire to commune with you and I on a regular basis, on a daily basis. I mean, he can't wait for us to call upon his name, to come into his presence, to experience his glory. Amen. I mean, he, he had such a desire when he, when he created Adam, he went looking for Adam. He, you remember he went, Adam, where art thou? Yeah, he went looking for him. 
Because he wanted to fellowship. He wanted to commune with Adam. And God hasn't changed, has he? No, we sang that song tonight. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still has the same desire. He desires to commune with us. He desires to fellowship with us. Number three, the third way that we exemplify being a first responder is through giving. Now, I'm not just speaking about financial giving. I'm talking about self-sacrifice. I'm talking about yielding yourself. I'm talking, and we sang that song tonight. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. I haven't heard that in years. That is an excellent, excellent song. Self-sacrificing, giving. I mean, what whatever God wants. We don't withhold that. We don't hold that back. We yield it. Number four, the fourth way that we exemplify is through faith in His Word. Operating in faith in His Word. How many of us can really say that we have faith to believe God for anything in life? You see... Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more that we hear the Word, the more faith will grow in your heart. The greater the battle, the greater the faith. Amen? But if you're not ready for the battle, if you have weak faith or if you have small faith, there's a possibility that you won't overcome in that situation. And God wants you to be an overcomer. He created us to be overcomers. Hallelujah. So faith in His Word. Faith in His Word. Faith in His Word. Do you know that God has never told a lie? Never told a lie. He's never been unfaithful. He's never misled anyone. He's always been truthful. Because that's one thing God can't do. He cannot lie. He just never learned to do it. (laughs) He can't lie. And you know something else? The devil can't tell the truth. He can't. Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's a liar and the father of lies. So he can't tell the truth. So when something comes along that is uh, in opposition to the word of God, what are we going to do? Are we going to believe the circumstance, which is a lying vanity, uh, where the Jonah chapter 2 says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy? Are we going to observe a lying vanity and believe what the devil says over what God says? I think not. No, let's go with God. Let's always go with God. Regardless, listen, regardless of what that circumstance is saying, if it's in opposition or contrary to the word of God, it is a lie. And finally, number five, the fifth way that we exemplify being a first responder is serving. 
serving. Ephesians 4.11, the Bible says that he set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly apostles and, and, and pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. Right? So your pastor is, has been given you, given to you by God as a gift to help mature you so that you in turn can do what God has called you to do. Amen. Serving. Serving in the church, serving outside the church, serving your community, serving the Lord with gladness and with, with, with fullness of heart. But serving, doing His work, whatever that might be. And it varies for all of us, doesn't it? It's not the same. God didn't call us all to do the same thing. But He did tell us to do one thing, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, we're all responsible to win souls. You are, I am, we all are responsible to win souls. And see, if we've been ministering to the Lord in tongues... And we are prepared, then the next time that you go out into public, you might be in, in, uh, in at Speedway, you may be uh, at a restaurant, and there may be somebody sitting next to you or walking past you that God says, that's the one. And so you go and you introduce yourself, and you gradually lead in to you're a witness for Jesus. Why? Because that's our responsibility. But if we're not built up, if we're not prepared, if we haven't been ministering to the Lord, then we're not going to have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us. Amen? Amen. Now, Old Testament people, they didn't have the Spirit upon them. They, or they, they didn't have the Spirit within because... Uh, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. He didn't come until the book of Acts. So, But periodically, they would have the, the Spirit come up on them for special reasons. For example, the Bible says that Elijah outran uh, Ahab's chariot for 20 miles. Wow. Talk about an Olympic star. See, that, that that's... That's humanly impossible to run, outrun a horse and a chariot for 20 miles. But he did it. Why? Because the Spirit of God came upon him for that purpose. Samson pulled down the pillars of the temple of the Pharisees. Uh, of the fair, and, and the temple came crashing down on them. See, that's humanly impossible. You can't do that. I mean, the strongest man in the world couldn't do that. But Samson did it. Why? Because the Spirit of God came upon him for that reason. The Bible says David, when uh, a bear uh, came and, and threatened his sheep, what did he do? Tore it to shreds, didn't he? And a lion also. He whipped up on the lion. Well, see, you can't do that. 
It's humanly impossible. But yet God caused the power of God to surge upon them, and they accomplished that. Now, we have both aspects of the Spirit. We have the Spirit within, and we have the Spirit upon. We have the oil, and we have the wine. And we need to take advantage of both, don't we? Not just one, not just the oil. Thank God we're saved. But where do we go from now, from here? What do we do now? We're saved. Our name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. We've got, we've got a ticket to heaven. But now what do we do? Do we sit back and wait for Jesus to come? No. We have to stir up the Spirit within us. Stir Him up. Paul exhorted Timothy. He said, stir up the Spirit that's where? Within you. Within you. Why? Because Paul knew that when, he, when Timothy stirred up that Spirit, and that is praying and ministering to the Lord in tongues, when he stirred that up, then the Spirit of God would come upon him and equip him with power to do what God called him to do. And, and Timothy at that point was, was uh, entering, entering the pastorate ministry. And he needed that power. You don't think you need power to be a pastor. You ask your pastor. <laughs> Am I right, brother? <laughs> Hallelujah. But stir up yes. is the same thing as Jude said in Jude 20 when he says build up. Yes. Stir up, build up. Stir up, build up. Stir up, build up. How do you do that, Jude? By praying in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> that's how you do that so when Paul was telling Timothy stir up that spirit stir yourself up he was talking about praying in other tongues ministering to the Lord it'll help your day go so much smoother amen it'll, uh, it'll help you avoid the pitfalls that the devil has laid for you it will help you help to avert sickness from coming on your body. It will keep the demon of poverty away from your door. Now, I'm telling you the truth. It will keep your kids out of trouble. If they get into trouble, the Holy Spirit will deliver them. I didn't say it make angels out of them. Hallelujah. I remember a time that uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin shared with us in, uh, in school this testimony. He said uh, years ago when he pastored, he pastored in uh, southeast Texas for 12 years. And uh, early in his ministry of pastor, he had uh, a Sunday school superintendent. And uh, this man worked on an oil rig. And there was an accident one day, and he had fallen down into that shaft of the oil rig. And, uh, of course, they got word to uh, Brother Hagen, and, and he went out to, there, uh, the, out to the, the scene. 
And they were still trying to get that man up out of that shaft. And he said, when they pulled him up out of there, you couldn't recognize him as a man. That he was mangled and uh, just cuts and bruises and, and just lacerations. And uh, they didn't expect him to make it. And so uh, they put him in the ambulance, you know, and took him there. Well, Brother Hagin followed behind in his car. And uh, when he got to the hospital, the doctor examined him and came back out uh, in the hallway and, and told him, said, well, uh, I'm not going to give you much hope. Said he said, he probably won't make it. Said he's he's really damaged. And uh, so Brother Hagin said, I, I, I didn't listen to that report. We have a better report. Amen. Amen. We have a better report. And so he said, uh, I just began to pray in tongues. And he said, I walked back and forth down that hallway in front of his door. And he said, I, I, I just remind the Lord, Lord, he's my Sunday school superintendent. I need him. If I need him, you need him because it's your church. So he said, uh, for that reason, I'm not going to let him die. Now you say, well, well how, how could he not? How, how could he keep him alive? Well, you see, we have a promise. In uh, Psalm 91, God says, with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. Amen. 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 And I don't know how old this man was. I forget if, if he mentioned that, but he wasn't, he wasn't an older man. He was a younger man. And so Brother Hagin walked back and forth, and he did that for three days. Never left this, the hospital for three days. Walked back and forth. I'm not going to let him die. I'm not going to let him die. He'll live and not die and declare the works of God. And he'd he pray in tongues all the while that he was there for three days, three days and nights. And he, and he prayed in tongues. And then on the third day, the evening of the third day, the doctor came out and he said, uh, I don't understand it. He said, uh, we don't have any medical explanation for this. But he said the man's regained consciousness. And so uh, they let Brother Hagin in the room and he went in there and uh, uh, he was talking with him. And long story short, he fully recovered and uh, went on to serve as Sunday school superintendent. But I shared that with you to let you know that there is so much power available to us that we're not tapping into. We have authority in, in the realm of the spirit that supersedes the realm of the natural. Amen. And if we'll take advantage of that, we'll see miracles. Amen. We'll see miracles. Amen. 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 Our daughter, Cindy, she was born 1970, July 4th. And she uh, was born with a hole in her heart the size of a quarter. That's a pretty large hole for a tiny heart. And uh, the doctor told us, uh, well, um, we'll just monitor her and see how this thing does. Well, uh, when we first found out, of course, we called our pastor. We were, we were Christians at that time. And uh, we told him and, and asked him to agree with us in faith and, and pray and believe God with us. And so he did. And so we just began to pray and Stand on the Word of God. And we called her healed. We called her heart healed. 
put our hands on her chest and, and in the name of Jesus, hold you close up. And uh, when Linda took her back for, I think it was a six-week checkup, uh, they did a little x-ray deal there. And, and uh, the doctor came out and said, well, there's no hole. She's healed. Amen. Amen. But he also said it wasn't nothing he did, if you remember that. Yeah, he was a Jewish Jewish doctor. Yeah. And he gave credit to God because he knew he didn't do anything. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so we have that available to us if we'll just take advantage of it. 